0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Village Chestnut Tree. I'm your host, Emmett Hoops, and I'll be with you for the next 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how loquacious I am, uh, talking about the American chestnut and occasionally other trees in trouble. Well, I'll tell you. I just want to start this one off by talking about uh, a problem you may have noticed in your own backyard, and that is... Well, it's a tree I haven't mentioned to date on this podcast, and that is the American beech. The American beech tree is in crisis. I was just over at a friend's house yesterday, and I saw a rather large American beech, and about three-quarters of it was dead, and I went over and I looked at the underleaf on the remaining branch that was low enough for me to grab, and it looked like white cotton underneath all over every every leaf, and I realized what it was. We are in the midst of uh, losing our beech trees. I don't want to be the bearer of any worst tidings, this being a very strange point in human history as it is, but let's not forget that we might be trying to quarantine ourselves to save ourselves from COVID-19, but the pathogens are still out there and they are still harming our trees. And all of this is the result of human interaction with forests. This would not be attacking birch trees if we didn't want technology shipped to us from other continents. The Pacific Ocean is nature's way of saying, thou shalt not pass, but we can pass it with planes and ships that can make the trip very quickly and transport thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of stuff. And among all of those tons of stuff, you're going to find a pathogen now and then. The American chestnut, as listeners to this podcast will know, was destroyed by a fungus, a pathogen that was imported uh, across the Pacific Ocean on a, uh, a host tree, and a Chinese chestnut. So it is human interaction with forests that is changing the forests, and we don't know what's going to take the place of these trees once they leave. The beech tree is a rather unique tree. Beech and aspen, uh, they don't just live by themselves. If you find a beech tree, look around, there's another one. That not, does not always have to be the case. If you look around an elm tree, sometimes it's the only one in a field. Or if you look around a chestnut tree, that might be the only chestnut there. Uh, no, no matter what kind of chestnut it is. Uh, Oak trees, sometimes you'll find a single oak tree. But if you find a beech, there are other beech trees there. We don't know how important that kind of relationship to the forest is. But we're going to lose the beech tree before we do have that understanding. Now, this is what uh, the topic of my podcast is something that I I was looking for something... Or for some way to put this mildly, because I'm very passionate about this. Now, you will get from some people an argument that the transgenic approach to rescuing the American chestnut is illegitimate because we're not supposed to be playing with nature. Well, transgenic technology, also called genetic engineering, genetic modification... Um, has been with us for a long time. Most transgenic plants are made for research purposes only. A group called the uh, Global Justice Ecology Project uh, is very active against the introduction of uh, transgenic chestnuts and transgenic anything, as if humans did not live on this planet. You know, they're a group of activists, they're they're opposed to genetically engineered trees. They released a white paper talking about the unknown risks and that they're far too great. And as uh, Rachel Smoker of that group said, the release of genetically engineered American chestnuts into forests would be a massive and irreversible experiment, uh, calling it a Trojan horse. And the floodgates, they're already open with the extensive use of genetically modified crop species well, let us let us stop and analyze the ramifications of this. If we are not going to use scientific intervention in the restoration of our forests, and right here I'm going to I'm I'm leaving this with forests. I am not qualified to talk about the use of it in corn or barley or anything else. I'm talking about I'm simply talking about the transgenic chestnut. First of all, we have to understand that human interaction with the environment is so great that we, have now, we are now considered to have entered an entirely new age in the Earth's history. And this is one where humanity is primarily responsible for the changes that are happening on the planet. We have to understand that every time we engage in trade with another town, we are risking bringing something else into our environment. I'm certain that everyone who is looking for a vaccine for COVID 19 wants it to come as quickly as possible and also understands the risk of having unprotected contact with people from another town, city, state, or country. Trees take tens of thousands of years to evolve any changes. Humans can change rapidly. Our immune system responds quickly when it finds a pathogen and it can confer immunity on us. That is exceptionally rare in the world of trees. Trees will adapt and adapt and adapt and adapt over tens of thousands of years. So if we allow the chestnut to go on, what we might see is a chestnut turning into a tree that more resembles a rhododendron than anything else. It will get to be about 15 feet high, and then will be attacked by the foreign pathogen and will die. As I have said before, it is not a matter of if, but a matter of when your favorite tree is going to be attacked by a deadly pathogen, because they are everywhere. Who knows what the emerald ash borer is going to be looking for when its supply of ash trees is gone. And let's face it, every one of these things is a result of human intervention in the environment. I believe we have to ask ourselves some honest and very simple questions, such as, if we talk about genetic engineering and transgenics, if we talk about it as if it's Frankenstein, first of all, we're betraying a mid-19th century understanding of science. Frankenstein had nothing to do with genetic engineering. It did have something to do with creating a monster. Um, But I believe the analogy to be false, no matter how widespread it has become. The simple fact is, if we are to go back to the foods that were available on this planet a 1,000 years ago or even 500 years ago, we're forgetting how profoundly the very act of Christopher Columbus landing in North America, how profoundly that affected the ecosystem here. Um, I don't know uh, how many of you have read the book 1491, but it goes on to explore uh, the ecology of a continent that was for millennia kept separate from the ecology of, uh, Europe and how profoundly North America was changed. And, you know, we're talking about keeping, uh, an ecosystem that was developed by accident 500 years ago. Let's zoom forward another hundred years and we'll be eating the foods that were common in 1600, let's say the grains, the types of things. Well, human life expectancy was, uh, I forget which British philosopher it was exactly who said that life was brutish and short. But uh, I don't think people these days would characterize life as being brutish and short. Uh, I'm not exactly certain that that is the kind of life that we want to go back to. We want a life where we can build a home surrounded by trees and not worry about forest fire, uh, which is unrealistic. We want to walk through the woods and not have to worry about a mountain lion or a bear attacking us on our walk. That is a reality that we have created for ourselves. Uh, If we want to bring back the forest ecology and protect nature the way nature is supposed to be in some halcyon state, then we have to bring back the uncomfortable realities that existed at that point in the past. Or we're going to understand that we are profoundly engaged with our environment and we are affecting it in constant, constant negative ways. And it is time for us to use the accumulated scientific knowledge that we have at our fingertips and begin to restore the forest that we have so grievously damaged. So that's my uh, my case. I don't want to seem too dismissive of the anti-biotechnology argument, but I have to tell you, to me it sounds like the anti-vax people. Uh, well, I'd better get off my high horse and go check on my neighbor's beech tree and see how that's making out. Maybe there is some kind of soap spray I can put on the leaves there to get rid of those little insects that are killing that beech tree. But, of course, that will be only one tree that I save, and the countless thousands that are in the acres surrounding that house are completely unprotected. Until someone can find some way of rescuing the beech tree, we are going to stand by idly and watch it while we hold on to the sanctity of our wheat germ. Anyhow, that's about it for me today. I will be back in about two weeks with another podcast. And until then, as always, be like a tree and keep looking up.